Hey, 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 we are back. This is the I Refuse Podcast. This is Mr. Fox speaking. And I wanted to dedicate this episode to mental illness. Um, you know, with the current state of affairs with the COVID-19 and the stay-at-home order and all the anxiety and everything that comes with that, I wanted to address uh, mental illness and the importance to have good mental wellness. Uh, As a mental illness sufferer myself, I've been suffering since the age of, or I recognized it at the age of 18. After doing a a three-month tour in Kuwait when I was in the Air Force, I came back um, and I felt hopeless and I felt empty and I felt less than. um, And through my mental health journey, I've had to face a lot of hurdles and a lot of past traumas and past situations in my childhood that I often internalized um, and I didn't know that I was internalizing but I was somehow affected by it. Uh, I had somewhat of a mental breakdown after coming from the Middle East. Um, Of course, the assignment was before, during, and after 9-11. And while I think, looking back, that played a part into my mental breakdown, I think the larger part of it was that I was a part of something big or making a difference in another place, but coming home and feeling like I wasn't making much of a difference. Uh, And in that realization, my journey started. And I still suffer from mental illness, um, and I've had quite a journey on and off medication Uh, doing a lot of self-care, doing a lot of exercises when the panic and the mania uh, becomes too much. I know one of the exercises that I do whenever I feel overwhelmed, I'm just going to share some of the the exercises that I do whenever I feel overwhelmed or just to help you through your journey. Um, Whenever I feel overwhelmed or I feel... a large manic energy overcoming me. Um, what I do is I sit stationary. Oftentimes it's either in a chair um, or even more so I'm sitting Indian style on the floor. And I try to the best of my ability to uh, free my mind of any mental weight and free my emotions and my spirit of any overbearing or something, some kind of weight or situation that's holding me down or causing me to overanalyze. Uh, Sit Indian style. It's similar to meditation, but not so much. It's more or less a breathing exercise to control breathing um, because what's connected to to our mental well-being is a lot of our, our breathing. And that can help once we elevate the breathing our mind starts to open up and be more receptive to positive energy. Um, I know that I do this for about 15 to 20 minutes a day, um, more so if needed. And I know being 30 days plus into this quarantine situation, I find myself um, having these manic episodes uh, some shortness of breath, um, flooding 
of mental, just mental uh, tension, overanalyzing things in the past, and I, you know, regret things that have happened that I look back on, I probably should have said something, Um, these kind of things that kind of would keep you up at night, these kind of things that would cause your mind to constantly keep running, keep going, well past, you know, bedtime, well past sunset, Um, I know the standard for me is, you know, by 7, 7.30, I'm starting to wind down, Um, you know, I've started to have dinner, ate dinner, you know, I'm doing little things like turning off the TV, turning off the lights to give my senses uh, some wind down time, um, some time to relax, Um, because oftentimes the other part is, you know, we give our bodies so much, um, so much energy, you know, we go to work, we're sitting in front of a laptop or a computer, you have all that light, you have all that thought, you have all of these images um, coming across your eyes and coming into your brain and all this receptive energy coming in um, nonstop, you know, a regular 40 hour, hour week, you're probably sitting at a desk for about seven of those eight hours a day. Um, and it's very easy at a desk job to become comfortable and complacent and not feel the need or the desire to get up and walk around. And, you know, on the long term, the long run of that scenario is you're more lethargic, you are more complacent, and yet and still your body or your eyes and your brain are working overtime to receive a lot of information and to in- output a lot of information. And it's very important to, from time to time, alleviate your body from such an overload of information and just overload of a lot of light and a lot of um, sensory activity. Um, the first exercise I'd mentioned was the breathing exercises, which the, it solves or it, it helps to alleviate a lot of any, um, manic episodes you may be experiencing or some kind of, um, panic, uh, feeling or sensation that overcomes your body. Um, I started doing these, those kind of breathing exercises when I started suffering from panic attacks back in 2010, 2009, 2010. Um, I was having this conversation with someone a couple of days ago who had recently started experiencing a panic attack and just like him, um, he, I was also, I also thought with the first instance that I was having a stroke or something. Um, for me, the panic attack came, I was sitting at my desk doing some busy work, which I absolutely hate. And the left side of my face started to go numb. 
There was a tingling sensation across my lips, and the right, my right arm started to uh, freeze. And the the area around my line of sight started to go black, and I started to keel over in my chair. Um, and I had those on a regular basis, at least once or twice a week. And luckily I had, you know, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and a social worker um, that, I, that I go to on a regular basis at the time to work this out. Um, I thought I was going crazy, but it turns out that I was having a, pan- a panic attack and that was very much a common thing throughout society. Um, and through those through those outpatient sessions that I was having at the Veterans Administration Hospital in the city, we went through a serious or a battery of tests, um, and I was given recommendations to um, partake when I felt a panic attack was coming. Um, the best remedy for any onset of a of an episode of any kind is early detection. Um, in my case, the when I, the moment I feel that a panic attack is coming, I would start to do these breathing exercises, which is deep breathing in and deep, complete breathing out. Um, you just do that slowly and steadily for about 15 to 20 minutes um, from the moment you feel a shift in your body's response um, from just normal everyday you functionality to what you deem is a panic attack or you deem a depressive um, episode is coming. And you continue these these breathing exercises um, well until after it starts to subside. Um, and I've been doing that for about twelve or thirteen years. Um, if you incorporate, if you include the times um, when I was in my early twenties, um, it has been a great of great service to me. Um, it doesn't take a lot out of you to do that. Um, I even find myself doing those breathing exercises at night when I can't go to sleep. Um, it definitely eases your body and your mind and your, your spirit. And it slows the heart rate down. It slows down the mania, the manic episode. It definitely gives your it gives more balance to the chemicals in your body and more balance to the um, nerve sensors. Um, and it definitely alleviates and levels out and balances out all that activity that goes into the manic episodes and the, the manic responses from your body. I know that in my 30 days of being 
at home or quarantined, so to speak, with the stay-at-home order and teleworking. Um, it hasn't been necessarily easy on my mental health, and I'm sure it hasn't been easy on yours. Um, I'm currently working or being a, a beacon or a catalyst for friends of mine that are not doing so well, um, friends and loved ones. Um, I'm thankful for FaceTime and Zoom for uh, still maintaining some kind of social interaction with my friends and loved ones and working working with them through their feelings of hopelessness and feelings of pessimism and feelings of depression as, in response to not having the social interaction that they enjoy um, in their line of works um, and in their day-to-day lives. I mean, this quarantine stay-at-home thing and this telework thing is okay for some people, um, but the majority of people that I know and that I'm familiar with hate it. Um, it's Aside from there's... There tends to be more work that comes in. It's not, some people are just not built for that and do not look forward to that. And me being a energy, a person of energy, um, it gets to me from time to time. Um, There's only so much um, interest and hobbies that a person can think of while at home. Um, and staying at home. I know a lot of people my age and younger have this habit and look forward to going out almost every weekend or going out three or four times a night and being around other people. Um, And still to this day, 30 days, 31, 32 days into this, people are still doing that, even given the intel and the data that states how serious this is. Like, the, yes, the death toll, the death rates are rising within my state. And I'm sure, you know, they're starting to be equitable um, numbers in other states and other cities. And people still are going out large gatherings. Um, some churches are still having large gatherings of services, justifying the orders. Um, and a couple of pastors, the same ones that have had these large gatherings, are not only testing positive for coronavirus, but are dying like that. Um, so this is very serious. And I, as someone that is faithful to the stay-at-home order, and the social distancing, the best of my ability. I mean, I still had to go to the supermarket. This does really affect the, my anxiety and my depression. Um, not only from a defensive level, but an offensive level. Like, as I look, or I get this information of all of the numbers of people that are dying... Um, and not just senior citizens, but also people my age and people younger, like babies that are weeks and months old. Um, so young to even have a chance. Um, it, it really is disheartening and it really is 
a a reminder that life is short. I mean, we're already three months, four months into 2020, and it's already been a train wreck pretty much from January. Um, and people are still not getting getting with it. They're not getting with the seriousness of of events, the seriousness of how how easy it is um for people to lose their lives and how important it is to not take life for granted um and you know one of the most important things to my mental health and I'm sure to a lot of people out there is that from the uh, from the offset of this and the result of this I just hope that we return to some kind of kindness and sympathy for each other. And not just for people that look like us, but everybody. Um, I learned early on that life is very, very, very short. Um, and that it is a very dangerous place out there. And it is what's kept me leveled and what's kept me balanced is reinforcement of positive memories, reinforcement of living for the moment, um, focusing on the good and the great and just having conversations and talks with people, with your family and your friends over the phone, over FaceTime, over Zoom. And keeping the conversation going and checking in on each other. I still, to, to this day, do welfare checks. Um, and it's more pleasing for me to be nurturing to others. Um, and I don't expect anything in return. That kind of give um, for me is good for my mental health. I know some people out there are just struggling very hard. Um in general, but even more so during this pandemic situation. Um, It has a really devastating effect on moods and emotional uh, stability. Um, And, you know, you place on that, you know, this the journey with medications and the whole health copay system and trying to find you know, the the rat race and trying to find a suitable alternative that's more that's more within your your budget. I know when I was seventeen, eighteen years old and I was placed on my first I was prescribed on my first um depression medication, which I believe was Remeron and then it went to Zoloft. Um it went from like twenty to twenty five milligrams to about fifty milligrams. Um, and I was on the back and forth with that for about two, two or three years. Um, once I got to probably my fourth or fifth year, I'd already, um, I personally volunteered to be institutionalized, um, for a, a five to 10 day inpatient hospital off the base where I was stationed. 
Um, and then I came back and I was put on stronger medication and probably about two or three years of being put on concurrent medications at the same time, you know, you have the side effects that you deal with and you know how like embarrassing and frustrating it is to be on medication at 24, 25 years old, that, like, pretty much keeps you from getting an erection. Um, you can't get an erection to save your life. And at some point, I had came. I came to a crossroads in my journey. Um, you know, you're here. It is. You know, you've been like having a hookup or whatever and a really hot guy and you know it's Christmas time he invites you over there's another guy there and you can't you can't perform and you're soaking wet from your head to your toes because you just can't get it up and you have this fucking hot ass guy in front of you or a woman and you just can't you know, and it's very embarrassing. I mean, I wasn't picked on and I wasn't, like, embarrassed, like, by the two guys or whatever. But it just, for me, um, being in my early 20s and never having had that problem otherwise before, it's it's very frightening and it's very, it brings your, your depression down even further. Um... So I'd said that to say that people that are on medications and that are going through this medication journey, we we have peaks and valleys, and we we're we're pretty much on like we. I know for me that I felt like I was a guinea pig. It was like, okay, well, if this doesn't work, then we'll try this, and then we'll get back, you know, get back to us in two or three weeks and see how it goes. If this doesn't work, we'll try this. All while um, during your sessions, inpatient sessions, outpatient sessions, um, we tried just about every medication. Um, it got to a point to where I couldn't even pronounce the medications. That's how deep it went and how long it went. Um, this whole rat race and this whole testing things out. Um, and... The medication from for me in my personal life, it was a temporary fix. It was a temporary um, feeling of wellness. Um, at some point, I knew that I had to face the core of where this all stems from. And in my mental health journey, the breakthrough came about three years ago where we tried a different method. My psychiatrist at the time, it was Dr. Pollen, um, where he had a, it looked like a a light bright panel almost. Um, it had a wooden frame. It had a black panel. And had these um, these light bulbs, row of light bulbs, 
across the panel. And he had a, a remote control or a switch that controlled the speed of the movement of light across the rows. Um, we just, we did this for about four or five sessions and the, the session leading up to this exercise, I think it was EDM or RDM or something like that, was we, um, we went to, we had like, I had like a flashback to a moment to when I was 11 and I was in another room of the house or the apartment. My mom was in the front room in the kitchen. And it was just a, a regular night. You know, I went to school. I went to the after school um, program. I mean, back in the early 90s, we had, we had this thing called the Police Athletic League or PAL. Which is basically an after school um, center where, like, the middle school kids and the grade school kids would go, and they would do, um, they would get homework help, they can, um, play video games and stuff, and it was ran by, um, plainclothes police officers, and, like, high school students came as, like, augment to, like, help the kids and play with the kids or whatever, so I went there, i never forget, it was a Thursday night. Uh, it was probably about 8, 39 o'clock. Came to the apartment. Mom was in the kitchen. She had like four or five people in the apartment that were staying with us. I went into the back bedroom and um, turned the TV on. Took a shower, took a shit, whatever, came back, watched TV. And I was under the covers. The door, I believe, was cracked open. The bedroom door was cracked open. And a little after 10, I think, I heard a loud boom. And I heard my mother scream. And my first instinct, thinking we were going to get robbed, was to go try to hide um, behind the dresser. And not even five or ten seconds after doing so, they were like, I couldn't even tell you how many men were in the room. All I remember seeing was flashlights, like lights from the flashlights, uh, bulletproof vests, um, riot gear, and guns pointed at me with the... Um, the red, the red dots, the red line of sight on each gun pointing at me. I had my hands up. I didn't have anything on but a pair of underwear, thank God. And I was no older than 11 years old. I may have just, either I was turning 11 or I had just turned 11. Um, I didn't know what was going on. But I was... Uh, kind of led out into the, the living room and there were officers everywhere. Um, my mom was in plastic handcuffs and 
people were in the bathroom, people were in the bathroom, I mean, the kitchen, the bedroom, everywhere. Everybody was under arrest. I was sitting Indian style. My mom's head was in her lap. I still don't know what the fuck was going on. Uh, so that one night, um, I believe I internalized everything and even just the experience after, um, nobody was telling me anything. Um, and it wasn't until later that I put two and two together. I was probably, let's see, it was probably two or three years. She went to jail. We bailed her out. She was just kind of like floating around. I was living with family. Um, at some point in 94, 93, 94, um, I chose to live with her. She started going to NA meetings. It still didn't click, like, what the hell was going on. And she apologized to me, and, and that was that. But little did I know that I was internalizing all of that. Um, and what people fail to realize is that, yeah, as a parent, you're, you know, you're protecting your child by not telling them anything. But at some point, as they get older, they're, they're walking around like, okay, is this all that life is about? Like, that I have to be on guard all the time, and if I'm not, I might get killed, or... If I don't strike first, then something worse is going to happen to me. Um, People just don't think about that. And I went for the majority of my teenage years and most of my adulthood not either not knowing or just ignoring it. Um, and as a, as a result of that, I just, for most of my life, just try to avoid confrontation because I don't know when this next confrontation or this next conversation is going to be the one where I just pop all the way off on somebody that didn't deserve it. Um, and that had been my, that had been my battle for a while, um, Now in my 30s, you know, I'm starting to realize that, you know, I I still pick and choose my battles, um, but I'm living with less regret and I'm speaking up more. And I tend to do that with people that I know that I believe I'm comfortable with and are open to receive what I have to say. Um, It hasn't been easy. I still kind of struggle with the regret of past situations where it's like the past situation will play out in my mind sometimes late at night when I'm trying to get to sleep and I'm overanalyzing and I'm thinking, shit, I should have said this and I should have said that. And my mind never turns off. Um, Now, I've chosen over the past five or six years to do a lot of self-care and a lot of mental wellness exercises versus going back on medication. Um, A, it's not in my budget right now. 
and be medications and the whole health insurance thing just varies with each administration. I know when I, I know when Obama was president, I you know the copay was great. Um, copay for medications, ninety eight percent of the time it was free. Um, even prescriptions for um, off brand things, most I would pay is probably two or three dollars. Now, as soon as forty five became president, the same medications that were free. Um, the insurance company would come back and say, oh, well, it'll cost you uh, 3500 to $4,000 for a year, you know, to be covered for a year for this medication. And I had to sign up for a patient access network card and all this other stuff to keep the same medication that had been taking every year for like two or three years, the same price, which is free. Um... So it's like from year to year, you just never know in this journey with mental health medication if you're going to be able to afford it. And that kind of struggle also plays into one's mental illness and one's mental health. So there are a lot of variables um, directly and indirectly um, affecting, affecting us as through this mental health journey. Um, And it doesn't necessarily have to be an isolated event. It can be repetitive. It doesn't necessarily have to be, it doesn't always, it's not always um, something that happened in your childhood that affects you later that, you know, causes these mental health issues. It could be the current event right now, which is this pandemic. And, you know, the shift, the social shift in people's lives, um, we have to move differently and we have to act differently and we have to be more vigilant than ever. And I know that I'm looking back and I'm like, I didn't, I didn't do enough, um, you know, interacting. I could have had you know, more and more friends or, you know, more and more times to be out with people and have a better relationship with people. And I'm saying that because last year, you know, I came to the realization that had I done that, maybe I would have still had, you know, people been on people's minds more and people would have checked up on me as I was going through things and it, I would have had a, a better sense or a better feeling of having, you know, a brotherhood or close friends or people that I can talk to on a regular basis. Um, you know, cause not for nothing, you know, loneliness is, uh, can be troubling from time to time and the feeling of being ignored or the feeling of being not valued or not being thought of or considered that that weighs on can weigh on you too um which is why it's very important to um look into and to 
instill a sense of independence and a a sense of self-sufficiency and self-reliance on yourself, you know, well, it's redundant to say on yourself, a sense of self-reliance. And to get away from the, the codependency in relationships and friendships and to be whole within yourself. Um, because, you know, the universe, whether we want to believe it or not, is in control of all of this. Um, we do not have control over other people and other people do not have control over us. And try as you might, you may, you know, you can have everything going for you and be the best version, the best edition of yourself. And people still will still turn and leave and go on, go on about their lives and their friendships with the same people you thought you were friends with and just leave you in the dust. And it's times like that where you have to look in the mirror and remind yourself of who you are. And how far you've come in your journey, um, in life, and accomplishments, the things you've overcome, um, the things you've gone through that have taught you many lessons of value, of integrity, of conviction, of being grounded, of what's in your heart and who you are and what you have to give and your value as a person. Um, That all comes from you and that all comes from the people that mean you well and the people that have taught you so many great things. And it is ultimately up to you. Um, I mean, and through through my entire journey, up until this point, you know, there have been multiple times people have tried me and I've been kind of caught up in my mind a lot from time to time, just looking back like, well, why would they even do that? And nine times out of 10, the reason why people treat us the way that they do is because we allow them to. Um, I've been pretty good for myself and I will give this advice to anybody that's listening that there's nothing wrong with placing boundaries in your friendships and in your relationships of what you will tolerate and what you won't tolerate. And there's nothing wrong with teaching people how to treat you. Um, I do it for myself by example. And by example, I mean, I treat people how I want to be treated. And I'm pretty consistent up until this point, and I continue to be consistent. I start out each interaction very warmly, and I'm good to people without question, without any trepidation, without any pretense. I'm good to everybody until they give me a reason not to be. And it's just that simple. Um, And like the good Dr. Maya Angelou said, When somebody shows you who they are, 
the first time you believe them. And that's been, I've carried that with me for the past 15, 20 years. And it's with that, it's become easier to accept what a person shows me the first time. And, you know, there may be people out there that try to, that think they're doing a great job of, of covering that up or not showing people their true colors. But the time that I had, the times I had last year showed me people's true colors. And even though they're not shit to me, I still, I still love them. I still want the best for them. And I still want nothing but greatness for them. Um, even though the universe will give them their karma, um, the the one thing we must take away in this life is that what you do is your karma and how people respond to you is their karma. And that's ultimately what's will led me to great mental and emotional and spiritual well-being um, is being able to get up and leave with as less baggage as possible from people that don't mean you well and don't have your back and keep on keep on going so this has been um wow very informative very vulnerable episode of the i refuse podcast um i am mr fox um remember to to subscribe to us on Yahoo. I mean, not, not Yahoo. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, follow us on Spotify. We're also on Anchor.fm. Um, so, yeah, this be sure to keep your eyes and ears peeled for more content. And remember that the content on Spotify is different than the content on YouTube. Um, so you have twice as much content. Um I'm slowly rolling out some some more anchor episodes. Um, you know, this was a late addition to my world. Um, I was told about anchor from a, a loved one, and I've even popped up on a couple of episodes of another podcast that's on anchor, um, Out Loud Podcast. Um, I've been on two episodes of that podcast so far, so be sure to. Be on the lookout for both of those, out loud, and I refuse, and we'll see you later. This has been Mr. Fox, and this is the I Refuse Podcast.